You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Well, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors. I'd love to get to know you and get to meet you after service if you'd introduce yourself. I have the privilege of uh, sharing God's Word with you guys today, and I'd like to just pray as we get ready to do that. Okay, would you join me? Uh, Father, we come to you as people who are surrounded by a myriad of voices in our lives every single day. Our lives are filled with uh, things that are good and true, uh, but also things that are bad and false. And so we pray, God, that today you would teach us through Jesus' words how we might know the difference between the two so that we could be people who have wisdom and discernment and ultimately so that we could come closer to you, Jesus, who is the truth. Would that happen today, God, by your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was around 12, 13 years old, uh, there came this big fear that swept over the church that my family was a part of at the time. And I've since learned that this was not uh, limited to my church, but it was actually pretty much a nationwide thing that was going on in the churches across America. There was this view that Satanism and the occult were taking over. Any of you guys remember this? Some of you guys were around during this time. Uh, and, and, and it kind of yielded a, a lot of people trying to sort out where, where is Satan coming into the church and these kinds of things. And people were really, really fearful and afraid. And you know what's interesting is uh, in the last number of years, I've had the opportunity to... Uh, to kind of pillage through retiring pastors' book collections. And, and I've found some really interesting books that came from that era. So like the late 70s, 80s, early 90s, okay? And these really illustrate well what I'm talking about. I'll give you a feel for it. So here's this one. And these actually, most of these happen to do with music, but this was going on with all kinds of different stuff in culture. This one is Rock and Roll, The Devil's Diversion. Okay, so I thought that was kind of good. Um, backward masking unmasked. So there's satanic messages on albums, and you need to play them backwards so you can figure out what you're being given, right? Okay. Um, Satan's music exposed. So I don't know what that one was, but there you go. And then Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. Okay. So lots of really good sources here. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but what I'm what I'm wanting you to see in this is that there's this movement that would kind of arisen of fearful people who are trying to like turn over every stone in culture with the assumption that Satanism is going to come and get us. Okay, that was that was what was going on, and so they're asking this question: Where are we getting our truth from? And the solution that they were giving was to withdraw from the world around us to set up the church as this kind of safe place away from all the bad stuff, right? And, and to an extent, these fearful people were right. There is a real spiritual war going on in the world today, 
And we do have a real enemy. The, the Apostle John calls it uh, the world, the flesh, that's our own sinful desire, and the devil and his minions, right? All, all these things are at war with God and his purposes. And the battle is won by God's truth combating those lies. Okay, so this is true. This is, they're, they're, they were right in that sense. But they were wrong in the sense that Jesus says he wants us in the world but not out of the world. So withdrawing from it is not a solution, right? Also, they were wrong in that not everything out there is false and not everything in here is true, right? And, and so these well-meaning Christians, they were asking some of the right questions, but they were giving the wrong answers. Of course, we must live with eyes wide open. We must know that this world is constantly preaching to us its own messages, and we are being shaped by those messages. We talked about that last week when I made fun of the song Let It Go by Fro- in the, from the movie Frozen. You guys might remember that if you were here. But this is what we're talking about today. Jesus is going to address false teachers, and the term that he's using for them is wolves. And what he's trying to help us to do is to be able to see how we're to know what is true and what is false, how we are to be people who have discernment around what messages we allow into our lives. And the big idea is we beware of wolves by following the good shepherd. And so we're going to begin this looking back here, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. The, the, point, the first point is just simply beware of wolves. Beware of wolves. Here's what Jesus said. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So here's the context of where Jesus says this in the whole scope of the Sermon on the Mount. He's ending the Sermon on the Mount here. We're about to wrap it up, if you can believe it. It's been like almost a year now. Uh, and, And he's concluding the Sermon on the Mount with a set of warning signs. Last week, we actually started looking at those with the narrow gate. And, and he wants to remind us, now that we've heard all that he has taught us so far in the Sermon on the Mount, that it's not just a matter of kind of, you know, floating along and, and hoping for the best. Rather, he's reminding us, in light of all that he's said, we have got to stay awake. We have got to stay awake. In fact, this word that he uses, beware, uh, literally means to stay awake. Uh, it, you know, we think of the word beware as like be afraid, like beware of dog, right? But that's not what Jesus means. This word literally means pay attention. Church, are you paying attention? Are you bewaring of the voices in your life? He doesn't say to be afraid of them. He says pay attention. And this is literally the only command in this set of verses. Beware. Pay attention. Why do we need to pay attention? Why is this such a big deal? I think this is especially a big deal today. Why? What if I told you that throughout all of human history that this is a fallen world is not just uh, full of truth, but it's also full of lies. I think everybody probably would go, yeah, I could, I could see that. There are lies all over the place, right? That's not a surprise. But what if I told you that as a human being, you were susceptible to believing those lies? 
Hogwash, okay, someone doesn't believe me. Of course, I know that's Jason, so he's joking. But would you believe me? Would you believe that you are susceptible to believing lies? Or are you, you like, no, I'm an impenetrable force of truth, and uh, I'm, I'm immune to the chorus of falsity that is outside of me? No, I don't think anybody here probably actually believes that. And yet... Most of us go about our days just kind of passively letting the messages in that are being fed to us. And so this is why I think this is so relevant for us today. Because in the information age, we are bombarded with so much content, often by our own choosing, right? But so much content that it's absolutely exhausting to try and screen everything that we're presented with. Anybody else feel that way? I feel that way constantly. It's like, is this true? I don't even know, right? There's so much information that's out there, it's hard to distinguish what is true and what is false. So what do we do? We get tired, we get lazy, we turn off that filter, we get passive, and we just kind of let it all in. Which, of course, has led to all sorts of crazy ideas that purport to be true, right? A a recent study from LifeWay Research found that 49% of pastors in the U.S., of Protestant churches, frequently hear members of their congregation repeating conspiracy theories that they have heard about why something is happening in our country. This is a significant problem. Churches should be places focused on the truth, and yet they're often the most effective places for false ideas to spread. There was a quote I appreciated from the author of the study who said, before returning to heaven, Jesus appealed to his followers to share what they had seen and heard. Passing along these eyewitness accounts of Jesus' teaching and his death, his burial and resurrection is the mission of the church, meaning the gospel, sharing the gospel and promoting the kingdom of God on earth. Instead, many church members are sharing things that might be, things that could happen, or things that sound possible. One is a firm message of hope and the other a shaky message of fear. This mass of information that is available to us is one of the hardest problems pastors deal with in today's world. I can totally testify to this. Everyone is constantly, including me, all of us, are constantly filling up our brains and our hearts with more and more content. How could any pastor possibly keep up with all of that, right? How could we possibly effectively affirm the truths and combat the lies? The average Christian probably consumes 12 plus hours of other information every single week, and we're lucky if we get you for one hour, right? It's one sermon versus a million podcasts and YouTube videos, But another problem is a lot of people creating content aren't even connected to churches. They aren't accountable to anyone. They're operating autonomously. They aren't submitting themselves to, or their teaching, to other leaders, to elders or pastors of churches. Why? Because 
organized religion is on the decline, right? And, and these magnetic and independent teachers, they've stepped in to fill the void. Sociologist Brad Christerson says, there's this idea that it, you can't trust anybody except these trusted individuals. It's a symptom of our time. People don't trust institutions, and people think that all mainstream institutions are corrupt. Universities, science, government, the media, and they're searching for real sources of truth. What a mess. What a mess we're in. But Jesus' words are timeless. They're timeless. Beware. Beware. It may be harder for us today with so much information out there, but still, we've got to pay attention. Perhaps we should start by uh, not giving ourselves too much to pay attention to, like limiting our intake of consuming uh, resources rather than strictly just kind of letting the hose, the fire hose feed us all the time. In a minute, I'll actually also share with you uh, some questions to ask about a resource to discern whether or not it is trustworthy. But first, let's dig into Jesus' teaching some more. So far, we've spent like 10 minutes just on the word beware, okay? So let's, let's look at what else he has to say here. What is Jesus telling us to beware of? He says, wolves in sheep's clothing. What does a sheep's clothing look like? We use this phrase in our culture all the time, right? It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's evil masquerading as innocence. It's like someone going, oh, it's nothing wrong here. Nothing to see here, people. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Nothing to see here. But we also know that the Bible calls us, God's people, the church, he calls us the sheep of God's pasture. So we're sheep, right? Which means that a wolf in sheep's clothing looks like you. A wolf in sheep's clothing looks like you. It looks like me, like a genuine Christian. A wolf appears to have the same faith as you, but in reality, inwardly, Jesus says, they're ravenous wolves. They're false prophets. Now, a prophet is probably more than what you think of it being. A prophet is really anyone who shares God's word. That's the job of the prophet. And a false prophet, then, is someone who teaches something other than the truth of God's Word, something that contradicts the truth of God's Word. To put it as bluntly as I can, a false prophet leads to false gods, which leads to false worship. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 13 and 18 tell us. False teaching leads people away from Jesus and toward idols. Now, Today, hardly anyone in the church would like overtly lead people to idols, right? But it still happens, and it happens on a much more subversive level. This could be done under the guise of a prophetic ministry, right? Someone who predicts the future. That, that actually, some of you guys are unaware that this still goes on, but this is very prevalent in, in Christianity in America today. But in Scripture, true prophets weren't only future predictors. Remember, they, they're ones who share God's Word, and so they often operated as those who called people back to what had already been spoken by God. And while there, were, there are streams in the church today where people are predicting the future, wolves more commonly look just like an 
average everyday preacher or teacher, a social media influencer, pastors who write books, speak at conferences, even if they never say a predictive word. Okay, so that is what a wolf is. That is what a false prophet is. How do we spot them? Jesus tells us how to spot a wolf. This is point number two, and this is the rest of the verses we're going to dig into now. Here's what he said. You will recognize them by their fruits. So Jesus is mixing his metaphors here. We're going from sheep and wolves to trees and fruits, okay? But it'll actually make perfect sense, I think, as we get into it. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is a warning that Jesus gives us of a future judgment for false prophets. He's actually echoing John's words, John the Baptist's words in Matthew 3.10. He's saying the exact same thing that John said back then. And this is comforting for those of us who have been harmed by wolves. For those of us who have sat under false teaching and have experienced the pain that that brings and the difficulty that brings, Jesus will one day make it right. That's good news. But it's also a warning for those who teach falsely. They better watch out. And Jesus bookends this whole thing by saying, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Okay, so how do you spot a wolf, Jesus says, by their fruit. Is it good fruit? Not a wolf. Bad fruit? Then it is a wolf. And the fruit is both the person's content, the, the, what they're teaching, but it's also their character, and it's the influence that those two things have on others. And both of these things are tested by the standard of Jesus himself. That's the easiest way to put it. So good fruit is when a prophet or a teacher's content and character reflects the content and character of Jesus. Bad fruit is when a prophet or teacher's content and character doesn't reflect the content and character of Jesus. I put it into a nice chart for you guys because I know you love charts like I do. So it's nice and simple. So good fruit, truthfulness, bad fruit, falsehood. I'll break this all down. Good fruit, fruit of the Spirit, bad fruit, fruit of the ministry. I'll just call that worldly success, like it looks like it's good. Good fruit, the teaching influences people to be more like Jesus. Bad fruit, the teaching influences people to be less like Jesus. Good fruit comes from a healthy tree. Bad fruit comes from a diseased tree. So let's dig into that. It goes without saying that no human being, including me, by the way, I need to include myself in this, no human will perfectly model the life and teachings of Jesus, of course. But for someone who isn't a wolf, the overwhelming evidence in their life trends Christ-like, okay? It trends Christ-like. And of course, this relates to not only their life, but also what they teach. Is it true or is it false? In in Deuteronomy 13 and 18, like I mentioned a minute ago, that was actually the test for whether a prophet was from God. Does what they say come to pass? Does what they predict come to pass? If not, then they're a wolf. 
And does what they teach lead people to worshiping the one true God? If not, then they're a wolf. But it's not just enough to evaluate the content of their teaching. It's also critical to evaluate their character. Does their life exemplify the character of Christ? This is described in Scripture as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, some people, you guys might have encountered people like this, some people are gifted or talented teachers, and there appears to be fruit in their ministry, but the fruit in their lives is rotten. It is rotten. It's, It's diseased. It's decaying. And so what's important is that their life would actually test their teaching, if, if the consistent pattern in their life contradicts the message that they speak, it doesn't matter how true the message was. They are literally taking the Lord's name in vain by what they teach. One of the saddest cases of this in recent years was Ravi Zacharias. Some of you guys are aware of what went on with him. He was a man who appeared to be truthful in what he taught. Right? He, he had this worldwide ministry. Millions and millions of people were reached by him and deeply affected by him. He seemed fruitful. He seemed to be bearing good fruit, right? But in the wake of his passing a couple of years ago, we learned that he had been sexually assaulting women and soliciting sexual favors in massage parlors. He even had been keeping his own private staff of masseuses, and when any of them would reject or challenge his advances, he would vie for their sympathy. He'd try to make them feel sorry for him and manipulate them. He would say things like, the burdens of my ministry, they're just so great. They're so great. He'd say, those who understand me are so few I deserve some relief. I need you to help me. This is absolutely sick. So sick. And this kind of talk, this kind of manipulation, and and trying to vie for people's sympathy, it's all too common among supposed Christian leaders. Wolves in sheep's clothing who are right under our noses. And these kinds of stories, they're horrifying, they're grievous, and they also have a decaying effect on the church and its witness. As Pastor Buzz said to me earlier this week, talking about Ravi Zacharias, he said, the backwash of his life tarnishes God's reputation. And he's right. Ravi may have said true things from stages and video screens, but he proclaimed in his private hypocrisy something utterly false about who God is. And so what we need to take away from his life is that worldly success does not equal fruit. We have to look beneath the surface to see if that tree is actually healthy. We have to look deeper than the superficial. We have to look beneath the sheep's clothing, if you will, to see whether there is a wolf under there. And how can you even do that? 
unless that person is known and living in community with God's people. There are five warning signs, though, that we can see from the surface. Five warning signs. And I'm taking this from a bunch of different places in Scripture, some of which I'll highlight for you. But I think these are helpful because a lot of times we're trying to digest teaching from people who we aren't in Christian community with, who we don't personally know. Some of you guys don't even know me that well, and you're trusting others who do know me. But here are five warning signs for someone who might be a wolf. They're probably a wolf if they're financially motivated, okay? Are they loaded? Do they fly around in jets, right? In their own private jets, that is. No prophet in Scripture, no true prophet, was wealthy in Scripture. And so if that's the case, why would people follow a rich prophet today? And I, I think it's because those prophets tell people that they'll be rich too, right? They want to be rich, and so they listen to them. But people who preach that God will give material health and wealth, if you just have enough faith, they're wolves. They're wolves. They're probably a wolf also if they're politically motivated. Are they all mixed up in politics? Are they endorsing candidates? Now, Christianity does interface with politics, sure. In fact, there are people in our church body who are actively involved in, in the political world. That's great. We can interface with politics, but Christianity does not serve politics. Jesus is king. Politics is all sitting under his authority. And so if politics are the thing that's driving the prophetic truth that this person is, or not truth, but falsity, this person's speaking, then it's a good sign that the tail is wagging the dog. Things are upside down. We saw a lot of this sort of false prophecy in America during the 2020 election. We see it on an ongoing basis in our country with Christian nationalism. We even see it with uh, people making false prophecies about international politics with things like Zionism and Israel and all these kinds of things. But friends, we worship Jesus, not a country. And we can be thankful for our country. We should be thankful. We can enjoy it. We should enjoy it. We should seek its welfare. Like I said, we should participate in politics without following false prophets making political alliances. Another one, they're probably a wolf if they are people pleasers, right? Are they popular because they're telling people what they want to hear? We, we heard this scripture read earlier, 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. It says, a time's coming when people will not endure sound teaching, that's healthy teaching, that's true teaching, but having itching ears, they need, they need it to get scratched, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. People who tell them what they want to hear. And those people will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The job of a prophet is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Because of that second part, prophets are not popular. They're not popular. I mean, look at, look at the prophets throughout Scripture. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, right? Ezekiel, or sorry, Elijah ran for his life. John the Baptist 
had his head chopped off. Paul was executed. Jesus was crucified. True prophets don't tell people what they want to hear. They tell people what God wants them to hear. And at the same time, a prophet isn't necessarily true because they tell people what they don't want to hear. They're not just necessarily people who are constantly being combative and ruffling feathers as an end in itself, which leads us to the next one. They're probably a wolf if they are church dividers. We get this from 2 Timothy 4, the passage we just looked at. Also, 1 Timothy 6. Do they preach a message that sounds pious and honorable, but it actually leads people to doubt the validity of the church, of, of Scripture, or their own leaders? False teachers will lead people away from the church. And we are in what is perhaps the most divided time in our nation's history. And the division that's out there is also in here. The church is not immune to being divided. We've been infected in the same ways. And if Jesus returned today, I think that perhaps the thing he would be the most angry about is the disunity of his church. Jesus came so that we could be united to him together. And yet, people voluntarily segregate themselves by political parties, by denominational affiliation, by tribalism, by ethnicity, by culture. And and there was a similar problem back in Jesus' day. God's people were dividing themselves. And there were these two opposing parties in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were these like hyper-conservative people. They were always adding rules to the Bible. Jesus rebuked them for purifying the wrong things. They were purifying all the stuff on the surface without actually ever getting to the heart. They were these people not too dissimilar from the Satan sniffers that I told you guys about earlier, right? They were always on this witch hunt to find all that bad stuff that's out there and protect everyone in here. Sadducees were pretty liberal all in all, and they were always too eager to merge with the surrounding culture. They wanted to adopt the ideas and the values of the surrounding culture while still maintaining some semblance of what their faith might have looked like before. And Jesus probably had these two groups in mind when he said to beware of wolves. The reason why I'm telling you this is because I think probably the closest parallel that we have in the modern church are the fundamentalists and the progressives. Fundamentalist Christians and progressive Christians. I know both those terms have a lot of baggage. I'm not trying to push people's buttons. Uh, Come and tell me if you think there's a better way I could refer to this later. But I think that's as, as good as I can describe it. And today, we've got these two groups, and they're pointing the finger at the other one. Like opposing political parties. In fact, they're often divided by political parties, right? And they're, they're pointing the finger at, at the other group, and they're trying to get everyone to join their polarized camp, drawing us away from Jesus and His church, often in the name of Jesus and His church. And sadly, they try to force Christians to take a side. And friends, I won't do it. 
I'm not, I'm not willing to, to take a side. I think that the Bible actually offers us a better solution, a different solution. In Ephesians 4, it says that we should be eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit and to bear with one another in the church. It goes on to say that we must live in this tension of truth and love. Truth and love. We should always hold to the truthfulness and the authority of Scripture and the historical faith that we're a part of, but also keep in mind that the church always needs reforming, right? The, the reformers, the, uh, the Great Reformation, it, it, it helped us learn that that was true. The church always needs reforming, and so we need the present work of the Holy Spirit to help us to love each other while we're figuring all of this stuff out rather than dividing over everything. Lastly, they're probably a wolf if they're wrong. It's pretty, pretty simple. If they're wrong, they're probably a wolf. Uh, maybe the easiest one on here, and I don't mean wrong in a real generic and general sort of way. I'm wrong, okay? I, I'm, I'm wrong, but I would say I'm, I'm not a wolf. You'll have to test me and tell me if you think that's true. Uh, but wrong in the sense that they're saying things that are inconsistent with God's Word revealed in Scripture, okay? Wrong in the sense that we have to test what people say with the Bible itself. In 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul says that false teachers are not only wrong, though, because they contradict Jesus in Scripture. He says also because they're just arrogant jerks, who like to get themselves tied up in controversies and quarrels. Sound like any YouTubers you guys know? Hmm? And then they like to produce division in the church like we just talked about. So putting all of these things together, I want to just give you what I think are some good ways to know whether a resource is trustworthy. So questions to ask a resource. And then we'll wrap it up. Is this leading me to become more like Jesus? Do I love more of what He loves and do more of what He does when I read this, when I listen to it, when I watch it? Is the message that I'm receiving, is it consistent with the whole counsel of Scripture, the story of God from Genesis to Revelation? Do those who know me know Jesus and God's Word, do they affirm these things? And lastly, is the Holy Spirit giving me discernment that something is wrong? You know, Spirit-led discernment, Christian, it's like, your, it's like your Christian spidey sense, okay? It's a gift that God gives to you. You might know something is up even if you can't quite put your finger on it. And if so, that's an invitation from the Holy Spirit to pursue Him, to pursue God's Word, to pray to ask, to seek, to maybe dialogue with some people and try and understand if there's a reason why you're feeling that way. Sometimes it's just a process of learning, but sometimes it's because there's actually something wrong. And I hope that with all this stuff that we've covered, I hope that what you see is that we need to do the work of paying attention to the messages that we're filling our lives with. But also, I hope that you have a clear sense of actually how to practically do that. And now I want to close with the remedy for false teaching. 
Okay? Jesus doesn't actually give us explicitly what that remedy is here. He just said to beware. So he's saying, remember, don't fear, but pay attention. But if we look elsewhere in his teaching, we see a very direct response to that kind of false teaching and what Jesus is telling us to do. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is telling us, follow the good shepherd. Follow me, he's saying. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. He doesn't feed off the sheep. He doesn't serve his own ends. He doesn't use us to serve his own ends. He actually cares for us, the sheep. He doesn't flee when all those wolves circle. And I think that this gives us a good principle for what it looks like to defend ourselves against wolves. And the lesson is the best defense is a good offense, right? Follow the good shepherd. Don't get obsessed with wolves like these guys did, right? Don't, don't get obsessed. Pay attention, but don't fear. Don't listen to all those podcasters who are constantly trying to stir up fear. Instead, fixate on the good shepherd. Fixate on Jesus. Obsess yourself with him. Remember that he is truth. And false teaching, it just won't stand with him. Focus on what he has done for us. Remember how he gave up everything to come and rescue us. Remember how he laid down his life so that we could have life. Remember how after he ascended into heaven and sat down on his throne, that today he is ruling and reigning over everything, and he's actively involved in the world and in the church today, so we don't need to fear. He is leading. He is shepherding. He is guiding us toward himself. And as you remember these things, you won't be fearful. You also won't be gullible. Rather, you will have more wisdom. You'll have more discernment. And you will also have more joy. We beware of wolves by following the good shepherd. Here are a couple of community group questions to guide you and spark the conversation in your groups this week. Are there any voices, and I would put podcasters, YouTubers, authors, so on and so forth. Are there any voices in your life that you need to silence? That as you think about these things today, you go, man, that's just not making me more like Jesus. It's not making me love what he loves. Second, how are you staying close to the good shepherd in your everyday life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending us Jesus as sheep who 
can tend to be foolish. We can tend to be fearful. We can tend to run away. Jesus, we need you as our good shepherd. And so we thank you for coming, laying down your life for us so that we might know you. We might have fellowship with you. We might know what the truth is. Thank you for giving us your spirit to guide us and to help us. And we pray, God, that we would be the kind of people who look like we've been shepherded by the good shepherd. That we would be so closely connected to the truth and yet also to your love. Help us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.